Today on Growing Through Grace. Look at Jesus' words with his son Paul here. Doesn't rebuke him, doesn't chastise him, doesn't question him about his behavior. Paul could give himself low marks enough on his own. What does the Lord say? Cheer up, be encouraged. You're listening to Growing Through Grace with Pastor Jacob Elin of Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. And we look forward to today's study as we continue this message we started yesterday from Acts chapter 23 that's titled, God's View of Us in Grace. We'll join Pastor Jack as he teaches us through Paul's confrontation with the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. We'll also look at the plot against Paul's life and how the Lord frustrated the enemy's plans. So here's our teacher with the conclusion of this message. I suspect, look, looking at the, er, uh, the narrative, that Paul went back to that barracks just crushed. <laughs> he had come here with, with money in hand and a heart to help. He had preached with all that he had. He had given it his best shot. He had compromised with James. He had spent his own dollars and cents to support you know, these four men just to try to bridge the gap. He had, he had spoken from the steps of the Antonio Fortress. People had gone nuts. He, he had met again with the folks face to face. It had absolutely gone nowhere for him at all. It all seemed to end in a miserable failure. And, and his lifelong dream, fueled by his persuasion that no one would be better at it than him to reach the nation of Israel, comes crashing down around his ears. I mean, when he's able to write... I would, I would go to hell for them if they could go to heaven. He wrote that. I would be cursed for their sake. He had great passion and compassion for his people, no matter how they treated him. But this just didn't go anywhere at all. They didn't listen. They refused to hear. Paul took it hard and personal. He'd had his chance. He, he felt he blew it. He had come into town with lots of warnings to not come, and he came anyway. He tried to appease James. He tried to appease the church. He put out a lot of money. He was a subject of false accusations. He was beaten. He was arrested. He was, he was re, re, refused. And in five minutes at this meeting, they're going nuts again. Paul must just go, what in the world is going on? Failed. I shouldn't have come. I, I wish I'd have listened. This hasn't done any good at all. I'm sure that the what ifs went through his head. It would have gone through my What if I hadn't said the word Gentile? That made him nuts. Why did I have to lose it with the high priest? <laughs> what if I hadn't taken the compromising offer from James? What if I hadn't mentioned the resurrection right when I did? What ifs? How easy to wallow in the what ifs of your failures to like, succeed in what you believe God's calling you to do. And you know the enemy's always there to just kind of you know, lend you a hand and sink you a little deeper into the hole of self-loathing. I, I just see Paul just getting dragged out of there just going, man, I, I can't believe this. And I, I believe that because verse 11 says that it was the following night that the Lord s stood by him. And he said, you be of good cheer, Paul, 
For as you have testified for me here in Jerusalem, so you will also bear witness at Rome. I, I believe what I just said to you about Paul because God has a way of knowing exactly how you feel. And the very next night, as Paul is still being kind of held in protective custody, the Lord comes and he stands by Paul, calls him by name, tells this beleaguered soldier, cheer up. It's probably the last thing he expected to hear from God. I've dropped the ball so much. <laughs> you know, It's been a horrible end to my career. Cheer up. And, and, and I don't know if you've noted it, before if you've read through the Gospels, but it seems that the words cheer up are one of Jesus' favorite phrases. You'll find it time and time again, through Matthew and John especially. The Lord just says to the various people, just cheer up. Well, how can I be cheery, Lord? Everything went backwards. But look at Jesus' words with, with, with his you know, son Paul here. Doesn't rebuke him. Hey, I tried to warn you. Doesn't chastise him. You should have known better than to say that. Doesn't question him about his behavior. Paul could give himself low marks enough on his own. What does the Lord say? Cheer up. Be encouraged. And this isn't the first time that the Lord had visited Paul in, in the darkest of times. You remember, if you've been with us, when Paul showed up in Corinth all by himself and at the end of his rope and everywhere he saw to be, he got beat up or, or no one listened. And he was, he was all but getting ready to quit. When his buddy showed up, he was a little encouraged. But when the Lord showed up, he was much encouraged. No one's going to hurt you. I'll be with you. And for the next year and a half, uh, he stayed in Corinth, just ministering to the people. And the Lord, it was, it was that meaning from the Lord, that word from the Lord directly to Paul that had made all the difference. In his early years, it, we read it last week, when Paul was in the temple, it was Jesus who came to Paul and said, I'm going to send you far and wide to reach the Gentiles. And, and Paul went that way, not because he would have chosen that, but because he knew that God had chosen that for him. In a couple of weeks when we get Paul on a boat to Rome, there is a heavy storm at sea, and it looks like everything is lost. And I don't know if you're good at storms and sea. I, I get so sick, seasick, I, it bothers me to read about it. But I can just be, imagine me at the bottom of a boat, tied up, unable to, oh my goodness. I'd have prayed to die. But the Lord came and stood by Paul and told him stuff, and he was able to go and take over the ship and give directions to everyone. Cheer up, Paul. And here's why you can be cheerful, Paul. You've been a good witness for me here. I have not. <laughs> I've had you testify to them. And instead of condemnation, the Lord brings commendation. Not mentioning anything that Paul might have thought was a failure. His compromise... His, his, his aggressive style in, in, in preaching, his, his uh, anger shooting off at the mouth at the high priest, whatever it might have been. The Lord could have brought up a lot of stuff. It doesn't bring up any of it because, like I said, this is a chapter about God seeing his people through the eyes of grace, even the guy like Paul. So cheer up, man. Cheer up. You've been, you've been fine. Good job. Even though they didn't receive you, it was a good effort. And I love the, the words that says that the Lord came to stand by him. Stand by this failure. Jesus didn't see his failure or Paul's failure at all like Paul saw it. And I think that's important for you to know. You know, we, we, we're not so easy on ourselves when it comes to spiritual things. And, and I know that we shouldn't cut ourselves a lot of slack. But on the other hand, if you've done your best, and even if it fails, God's really good at knowing exactly what you've done. 
And, and I like the picture here because I think Paul just was at the end, at wit's end. But these words from the Lord meant everything to Paul. If God is for us, who can be against us? That, those are real promises, aren't they? Romans 8, I think it's 31. Or who is he condemns if Christ died and is risen and he sits at the right hand of God and he makes intercession for you? Who can condemn you? That's Romans 8, I think 34. But it's in that same little package there. Right? If he's for you, who can be against you? And I think Paul needed to learn that now. We, we see our failures the Lord sees our successes. Sees the success despite what we categorize as failure. And I love that. I mean, I, I think about, you know, God is not forgetful, or, or no, no, God is not unjust to forget your, your labor of love which you've shown towards his name. You're ministering to others. Hebrews 6. God isn't unjust to forget. You don't necessarily see it as a, an accomplishment, but he does. You know, in Matthew 10, I think verse 42, Jesus said, if you'll just give the least one a little cup of water in the name of a disciple, <laughs> you won't lose the reward. You just, not even if you do it for me, you just do it in, in, in the, the name of someone who loves me. I'll keep good track of it, that you've done that. Satan is always so quick to minimize your efforts in Christ to show you your failures. But I would say to you that the Lord keeps different records. And I think that should be encouraging to you. And to me. Go to Hebrews 11 and read those 40 verses of accomplishments in faith over the Old, Old Testament saints that Paul wrote to a Hebrew believing church that was thinking of just quitting because the Lord hadn't come back and life was hard. And so he, he concludes his ten and a half chapters of doctrine by saying in chapter 11, look at all these folks. And they, they ran their race at a time when things were really hard. But go look at those names again. For example, Rahab she lied to save spies. If you go read the, the passage, you go, wait a minute, what's she doing lying? And people want to jump down her throat. She's a liar. Yeah, she got saved, like Old Testament style, two minutes earlier. She did the best that she could. Her heart was cleared, but her actions were foolish. Yet you get to Hebrews 11, God doesn't mention the lying. He just mentions the faith. It, it moved the heart of God. Gideon needed one more sign. How many signs do you need, buddy, before you can go fight? Really? Fleece is dry, the fleece is wet. Come on. Just one more sign. And you, wanna, you read Gideon's story and you go, you baby. And the Lord goes, that's my baby. He was thrilled with Gideon. Samson is in the hall of faith. Really? How did he get in there? Back door, unlocked. That's the only way I can see it. Bar Barak? He wouldn't go to war with the promises of God unless Deborah went with him. Really? I won't go unless you go. You little punk, come on. God doesn't say that. He doesn't say, oh, you're hiding behind Deborah's skirt, are you? He just mentions his faith. What, what on the outward looks like pretty much a failure, God saw as a success. The father finds faith in the midst of weakness that pleases him. You can go back and read chapter 11 of Hebrews and say, well, at least Barak eventually went, and he did. And Gideon eventually went, and he did. And Samson, at the end of his life, gave his life for the things of God. And God noticed, and he took notice of it. And Rahab, she knew so little, and yet she believed so much in comparison to everyone else. 
And she's the only one that survives the, you know, this onslaught of Jericho. She gets through it because of her faith. So when you read the Lord saying, cheer up, Paul, you did a good job, you want to go, I don't think he did such a good job. Yeah, the Lord didn't ask you what you thought. He, he's telling you what he thinks. And I think there's something to be said for, for the fact that the Lord would say, you've been a good witness here, and now I'm going to send you to Rome. You're on the right path. You're in the right place. You've come to the right stop. If there was ever a doubt that Paul might have said, I shouldn't come here. All the people told me, the Lord said, no, 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 you're fine. It's not easy to be in the place where God wants you to be, but you're in the right place. It's an amazing word of encouragement from the Lord. And in Acts, I think, 19, Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem, and then he said, he said to his disciples, verse 21 of Acts 19, when I get to Jerusalem, I want to then go to Rome. <laughs> it was on his bucket list. Not like this. He didn't want a free trip in handcuffs, but he wanted to go to Rome. And God promised he could get there, just not the way maybe Paul had planned. Here's the bottom line. God wasn't shelving him for his failures. God had greater plans for me. And I don't doubt that that night in that jail or on that protective custody place, Paul had a good night's sleep maybe for the first time. Because all that had been going wrong, it was right with God. If it's right with God, who cares? Right? If he's happy, we're happy. Verse 12, and when it was day... Some of the Jews handed, uh, banded together and bound themselves over with an oath, and they said that they wouldn't eat or drink until they'd killed Paul. Nice religious leaders. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy, and they came to the chief priests and the elders and said, we've bound ourselves together under an oath that we're not going to eat anything until we've killed Paul. So you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander he bring him down to you tomorrow as though you'd like to make some further inquiries concerning him and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So the Lord now gives to us an insight into a large conspiracy of religious zealots and the complicity of the Sanhedrin who would do their part by saying to the commander, Claudius, hey, could we have another meeting like, you know, the last one didn't go so well, and we could maybe do better. Verse 16 says this. So when Paul's sister's son, or his nephew, heard of this ambush, he went and entered into the barracks, and he told Paul, and Paul called one of the centurions, and he said, could you take this young man to the commander? He has something to tell him. And so he took him, and he brought him to the commander, and he, and, and he said, Paul, the prisoner, called me, to, uh, called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. And the commander took the young boy by the hand, and he said privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire some more things from him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them are lying in wait for them, men who have bound themselves by the know that they won't eat or drink until they have killed him. And now they are ready, uh, waiting for the promise from you. And so the commander said to the young man as he departed, tell no one that you revealed these things to me. Now, I love how God works and how God takes care of you when you're walking with him. And again, it's an assurance Paul's in the right place doing the right thing. There's a scripture in Isaiah 54, verse 17, that says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And so here are these, these 40 zealots who enter into a plot, kind of a cloak and dagger, you know, nod, nod, wink, wink, whispers, 
But, but here's the weird thing. Paul's sister's boy somehow finds out about it. What are the likelihood of this happening? Some young kid who the commander holds by the hand, so he's a young kid, somehow standing around, gets all the information, goes, spills the beans to Paul, it gets word to the commander, and Paul is delivered from what is assured death. I love the way God works. He overhears a top secret plan, a covert operation, just Paul and his little nephew. I love how God delights in moving behind the scenes. There is something about the supernaturally natural that I think sometimes escapes us. And I'm going to point it out to you in a couple of weeks because we're going to run into some weird, really amazing ways. But I think that we are always looking for the supernatural, don't we? And we'll do things like, oh, and my hair stand up on my head, I felt the wind, and I'm pretty sure it was the Lord. Or I woke up and I was shaking, I couldn't stop. Oh, it was the Lord. Okay. But more often than not, God works in ways that are absolutely uh, natural. A rainstorm that wasn't forecast, a missed connection on a plane, a delay of some kind of chance meeting with someone. And, and unless you look in, with the eyes of faith, you'll, you'll miss how often God is working. Because you know, omnipotence has his agents everywhere, even by the ears of a young boy who discovers by the hand of God the nefarious plans of others. 40 of them to murder his uncle. And he goes, rats them out. That's a miracle of God, isn't it? But yet, no one else would notice that. But Paul did. And he understood. I want you to also notice, because this is narrative, and I've told you before, you learn from the examples and the pictures that God gives us, that how kind this young boy is treated by the captain and, and by the centurions, Everywhere in the Bible that you turn, the Roman centurions are always painted in the most positive of lights in the scriptures. Roman law is, was pretty fair for the most part. So it's an interesting picture of uh, insight into the, the, you know, the people that were taking the Jews captive. Now that's not true of everyone, but, but Roman Judas, uh, jurisprudence, it was pretty dependable most of the time. And there's certainly, like I said, the centurions, they shine in the Bible. Verse 23, so he, Claudius, called for two centurions and saying, prepare your 200 soldiers. Remember, a centurion had 100 soldiers under him. Prepare 200 soldiers and then get 70 horsemen and get 200 spearmen so they can go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts to set Paul's on, Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And then he sat down to write Felix a letter. 470 men to protect one guy. I love how the Lord works. They sent him out at 9 o'clock at night, the third hour, according to the Jewish clock designation beginning at sunset. They're, they're going to send him from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Um, the gates close at the city at, you know, at some point where they can open them, let everyone out and shut it again. The gates would be closed at night. So that would kind of keep a lot of people away. The, the captain wasn't taking any chances. Caesarea on the Roman pathway, it's a little different on the freeway today, but the Roman pathway was, is about 65 miles of travel from the coastal city of Caesarea up the hill to Jerusalem. It, Caesarea was the provincial capital for Rome. It was where Philip lived. You remember we, a couple of weeks ago, Paul showed up in Caesarea and hung out with him for a while and was warned about what awaited from here. Caesarea was, was governed by a fellow named Felix, who ruled in the same years as Ananias, 52 to 59 AD. 
he was the only slave who got to that high of a level in the Roman government, at least that's been recorded. So he, he, no other person had come from that low of a status and become a governor, but he was a very wicked guy. He owed his job to friendships with Nero. Tacitus, who was a first century kind of historian, wrote of this fella, Felix, that he ruled with the mentality of a slave, always trying to pay back others for the years of suffering. He was always angry, never up to any good, and feel like the world owed him a life, and he was going to get even with everyone that stepped in his way. So that, that's the, the guy that, that now Paul is sent to. Here's what Claudius, verse 26, writes to send with Paul, the prisoner. To the most excellent governor, Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. So that's how bad it had gotten. Coming with troops, I rescued him. I always like when you write letters and you always look like you're the best. I've learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council and I found out that he was being accused concerning questions of their law, but he had done nothing deserving of death or even of chains. And when it was told me that the Jews were lying in wait for him, I sent him immediately to you and also uh, commanded his accusers to, t- to say before you the, cl- the charges they have uh, against him. Farewell. So here's the letter Claudius writes. It, other than, like I said, slanting the letter to make himself look good, I rescued him. and He was a Roman. It's pretty accurate, right? Felix, and we'll learn next week more, knew the problems in Judea, especially Jerusalem. He would have been happy to handle this since he was responsible for that area. Uh, No one could intimidate him. We read in verse 31 that the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul, and they brought him by night to Antipris, Antipatris. And the next day they, they left the horsemen to go on with him while they returned to the barracks. And when they had come to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. So it's 40 miles from Jerusalem to the hills of Antipatris, 25 more miles from there through the Sharon Valley to the city of Caesarea. 400 soldiers accompanied Paul 40 miles, 70 guys on horseback took him the other 25, the final leg. Verse 24, and when the governor had read it, he asked what province he had come from, and when he understood that he came from Cilicia, he said, I'll hear you when your uh, accusers have uh, come. And so he commanded that he be kept in Herod's praetorium. I read this and I want to say you know, to myself, I hope the saints in, Ces- in Caesarea are a little bit more supportive of Paul than the saints in Jerusalem where none of them seem to show up. That shouldn't be hard. Paul was kept under house arrest in the palace of Herod. We do have the ruins of that palace still in Israel today. Herod had built on the beach. It was a great place of R&R. We're going to find that Paul was able to visit with friends, and friends were able to come and see him. He had a pretty good time of it, I think. It wasn't like you might view prison today. And being a Roman citizen without charges, you can bet he was well treated. Still, Paul has to sit and wait. He had just met with Jesus. He knew he was eventually going to Rome. He didn't know when. He would be left in prison for two more years. And we will wait as well. 
What does the Lord have in store for his faithful servant? We've been listening to a study taken from Acts chapter 23. This has been the second half and conclusion of a two-part study taught by Pastor Jack Abelan. If you'd like to get the entire message, we do have that available for you. All you need to do to order, simply contact us and ask for study number 3083. It's always helpful for us to know the radio station that you're listening to, so be sure to mention those call letters when you get a hold of us. The same challenges that seek to hinder the church today were common in the Corinthian church back in Paul's day. In his letters to the Corinthians, he addressed such issues as politics, immorality, lawsuits, marriage, worldliness, and spiritual gifts, just to name a few. In working through these timely books, Pastor Jack analyzes Paul's biblical answers to each of these problems in light of today's church. And we're offering Pastor Jack studies through both the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians from our Know the Book series on MP3. They're available in either CD or USB format. So if you'd like to order the 1st and 2nd Corinthians MP3 or to get today's study, simply dial our toll-free phone number at 866-88-GRACE. That's 866-884-7223. You can also order by mail. Just address your letter to Growing Through Grace, P.O. Box 1954, Whittier, California, 90609. And as always, we have this resource and all kinds of other things available online at growingthroughgrace.com. That's growingthroughgrace.com. That's going to wrap it up not only for today, but for this week. We do look forward to being with you again in our next program. So until then, as you daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, may you continue to grow in His grace. Growing Through Grace is a listener-supported ministry brought to you by Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California, a Calvary Chapel outreach.